0: hello everyone and welcome to two hearts a new who podcast i am callum and i'm james and this is the only podcast where's the beach
1: every week here on two hearts we take a look at another episode from the doctor who revival and this week better late than never we are covering the 2022 new year's day special eve of the daleks as always just a quick reminder that you can find us on twitter facebook instagram at two hearts pod and that's to the number two or if you want to have your thoughts and feelings read on the show you can email us at two hearts podcast at gmail.com and that's to the word two Callum, have you ever developed a parasocial crush on an industry worker?
0: Oh, that's a good question. And a parasocial, I feel like yes. Yes. Yeah, I guess like every barista, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I see what you're saying. I thought you meant like people you worked with, like, oh, okay. Like just service people that like you don't even really know their names kind of thing.
1: Um, yeah like would you show up to their business once every year for three years straight no
0: no <laughs> especially not <laughs> if they worked at a Chris storage Gymnol. unit Can't say.
1: <laughs> yeah it's a it's a it's a certainly a a romantic setting um welcome back everybody it's a new year we are we're finally back we're recording we are still talking about Chris Chibnall's doctor who um
0: yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are we are back uh after a brief hiatus over Christmas and New Year's where the world at least here in Australia really seemed like it imploded um with uh, like just amazing like well done Australia on those high covid rates well done we really oh
1: smashing it hunty
0: <laughs> getting it done. Um no but it has been a bit weird of late and we've both sort of been is- not isolating but just staying indoors and sort of limiting when we go out. Um, the last thing we did yeah, see together... we both together, had COVID scares. We, we both had COVID scares. The last thing we saw together and we both thought we might have caught COVID from it was The Matrix uh, Resurrections, which was amazing.
1: I would like to say that if I had caught COVID from seeing The Matrix Resurrections, it would have been worth it. Um, that movie was incredible. Um, I'm, I'm joking, obviously. It's is, is joke. <laughs> is joke.
0: But we are... Now back, we have a new special to talk about, Eve of the Daleks. Um, And we're going to get into it because that's... And normally here we would talk about news, but that's really the only... But no, yeah, there there isn't much news at the moment.
1: And it's a bit of a lull. Um, The trailer at the end of Eve of the Daleks is obviously the biggest thing.
0: And we will talk about that when we get to the end of this episode. We will. We will. But on to discussion.
1: Alright, Eve of the Daleks is episode 7 of season 13, or just standalone only special, we're not really sure, it doesn't matter all that much. Uh, it was written by showrunner Chris Chibnall and directed by Anetta Lawfer. Uh, now we have done a bit of a, a plot rundown for you here, or rather Callum has, I'm going to read it out, I haven't read it before, this is very exciting. <laughs> time loops, the melty welty TARDIS lands in a storage unit facility 10 minutes before midnight on New Year's Eve, causing a time loop to begin that degenerates by one minute on each race It traps the Doctor, Yaz, and Dan, including the only other two people in the facility, Sarah, who owns it, and Nick, her only customer. But they are not alone. Executioner Daleks have arrived to execute the criminal Doctor, well, criminal in their eyes, and in ours, for using the entire Dalek battle fleet to destroy the Flux event. Sarah discovers that Nick has been keeping ex-girlfriend's items in his unit and labelling them with their names in a decidedly creepy fashion. Meanwhile, Dan confronts Yaz about her unrequited romantic feelings for the Doctor, revealed for the first time. Sarah finds her unreliable employee Jeff has been storing hazardous materials and fireworks in the basement, which the doctor and co utilize with a decoy time loop to trick the Daleks into blowing themselves up inside the facility. Sarah and Nick get together and go off on a holiday while the doctor, Yaz, and Dan continue on their adventures. That was
0: a very good plot write-up. Well done. Right? I was so chuffed when i wrote this and i was like bing bang bong i know everything about this episode i don't even need to review it to understand what's going on
1: <laughs> truly but we are here to review the episode so Eva the daleks callum what did you think
0: uh i've watched it twice now and on first watch um i i i, I didn't really sort of get a sense of my overall feelings of the episode yet because i was really we talked about it and I was really quite hung up on two really specific and really anno well, actually three if I think about it more broadly. Um, really specific and really annoying problems of the episode that I that I couldn't get past and that I couldn't that I, I couldn't enjoy the episode for. Um mm-hmm. so that was my first watch. Then on watching it a second time, knowing what was coming, I kind of let myself settle into the story that was happening and i actually came to appreciate whilst still hating these things we're going to talk about um i came to appreciate more the structure of the episode the time loops uh and that general like clean cleverness to it that we don't often see from chris chibnall we really don't see from chris chibnall at all um and so i came away on the second rewatch actually quite enjoying it um Enjoying a lot of aspects of it, um, which I think, yeah, I, I, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's complicated because, like, I don't like it's. It's funny because, like, I also want to say I don't like it, and I don't like it for a lot of reasons. But in the same way, we that Chris episodes often have that really polarizing kind of effect. Um, I don't know. I've talked to way too much. What did you think, James?
1: Um, I kind of had an inverse, uh, of, of your reaction where the first time I watched it, I literally just gotten back from a little holiday break up the coast. And so I was in such a good mood. Um, and I sat down to watch it and I just got whisked away by it. I had such a fun time with it on first viewing. Um, and I think it's like, there were obviously decisions that were made throughout the narrative towards the, the sort of the back half of the episode, um, that, you know, raised a flag for me at the time but for the most part i just had a good time and and i stand by the fact that i think this is an entertaining 55 minutes or whatever it is of doctor who um then i watched it again and sort of took some time to think about it and for me, knowing where things were going actually soured a bit of the beginning because um, the choices that they make regarding Sarah and Nick and their romance and then the way that the Yaz stuff is being handled um, is, is obviously going to be a huge thing we have to talk about being, being a queer Doctor Who podcast. Um, I, I sort of saw a lot more errors, or not even errors, but just things that I didn't appreciate um, the, on that second viewing. Uh, that said, in a vacuum on its own... I think it's a really fun little bit of television uh, and then when I, I go a bit broader with it when I go a bit more academic I, I start struggling with it a little bit so yeah a bit of a mixed bag but I would say it's one of the more competent Chibnall episodes even if it's making choices I don't like it is at least
0: making choices you know I, I you know that's actually very true and I think we can all agree that like for all the many many faults of this era um, that Chris Chibnall's a showrunner he does do these specials competently <laughs> which isn't a high <laughs> yeah. praise um but you know he definitely he definitely can tell a self-contained little story i i found that this has a lot of uh, sort of shared dna with um 42 which is which was his uh series three episode with david tennant and um freema adjaman as martha um in that they're both like countdowns against the clock they're both races through a confined area um they sort of have they have a pursuing kind of like relentless figure that one has a larger budget and subsequently a larger um cast and whatnot but um like and that i felt like was a pretty successful episode although maybe if i rewatched, re-listened to our episode i might not agree with what past me said um <laughs> so i Chris Chibnall was doing A good job. He wrote a story. Um, We shouldn't congratulate him for that, but he did it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it's just he wrote something that was entertaining. Um, And, Mm. you know, I'll forgive a lot of things in storytelling, a lot of shortcomings, if I'm at least entertained. And I haven't been by a lot of tribunal stuff, uh, which is what makes this you know quite a nice little diversion especially after flux which i mean we don't need to tell you guys but like we obviously didn't have a very good time with flux um and so to come into this and just nestle into like oh yeah this is just like a fun episode of doctor who that that was a really nice contrast
0: it really was um and i was surprised that flux even got a mention i felt for sure they were going to just completely side swipe and ignore it at all Yeah,
1: I actually, it's weird. In retrospect, I kind of wish they had done that because now I... You know, it invites those questions of, wait, what happened to the whole galaxy, though? Um, Which is one Mm. of those things where... You could almost ignore it as just being a fan concern if the show itself just hand-waved it away and was like, don't worry about it. I would be like, okay, I guess we're not worrying about it. But now the show has actively been like, no, no, she did a genocide and, you know, that happened. And now you're invited to ask those other questions about Flux. And so I, Mm. yeah, a bit bit wobbly
0: on that one. (laughs) This is curious because this came up, I saw somebody else talking about this and I do... You know, obviously Doctor Who has this moral question of like genocide is bad, which I completely agree. But then the it's the it's the Daleks, you know? We're not talking about like peace-loving race or just some innocence. We're talking about actual fucking Nazis, basically, space Nazis. Hmm. I'm yeah. perfectly happy with a genocide in that respect. Or am I being cruel?
1: Uh no, I I
0: definitely see where you're coming from. Um it's I just don't think it's the grounds for the most fruitful drama. You know what I mean? Like, we know that Daleks are bad.
1: Yes. No, no, I, I do agree. I, I do think that it's an interesting, um, you know, I've seen a lot of people be like, oh, it's his Dalek trilogy. And I think one of the biggest criticisms I have of this episode is that it's it's not about the Daleks. Um, this is not a Dalek episode. This is a time loop episode with Daleks in it. <clears throat> And that's not inherently a problem. You know, I think Daleks can be fun sometimes. Um, But if you're going to talk about what his other two episodes with the Daleks have done where, you know, yes, they've been evil, but I would argue that his past two specials have done a really good job of layering the Daleks, you know, like Mm. the, the one out of its pod and the, the idea of like a scout Dalek. It's like, yeah, like it's still a monster, but like they have ranks within their, their order and whatnot. And I don't know, seeing them in a flesh form, I think gives them some innate vulnerability. Um, Granted, obviously we're just talking within the context of, the sci-fi storytelling. We're not actually talking about um about Nazis here, obviously. No. Um. And then, you know, with the revolution, you've got, you know, a group of Daleks who envision something differently for themselves. Um, and that's obviously something that's come up a bit across New Who where Daleks have been given a little bit more to do. And those are my favourite stories where we get to dive a little bit deeper into that. And so, yes, they're still monsters, but I think that the decision to just wipe out a race of even monsters should still be something that has to come up for the doctor especially when that doctor has spent so much of her tenure on the show being like guns are terrible killing is bad
0: yeah true and there is that definite um, incongruency between the pacifism of the doctor and their also on of this particular doctor and then their also willingness to um to you know commit mass genocide at a whim. Um, mm-hmm. or condone it or stand by as it happens kind of thing. Um, uh, to your point about th- whether these are, form a trilogy of Dalek episodes, I would agree with that if this, like you say, I don't think this is even, this didn't need the Daleks. It actually, I think in some ways is a, not a great, in fact, detrimental to the Daleks, but we'll touch on that just very briefly. Um, mm-hmm. But th- if it were a true trilogy, then it would follow... The it would follow as a sequel to the last two, right? Which was a new Dalek, you know, casing the, like the idea of human made mm. Daleks, the militarization of Daleks, uh, and then their like use as weapons by humans. This is not, this isn't about any of that. And it doesn't follow any of that narrative as well. So I don't really see it as yeah. a, it's just another, it's just, oh, well, let's do Daleks mm. again. Cause we did it two years and it seemed to work kind of well.
1: Yeah, but like with the other two, I it seemed like he had an idea. I don't think it was necessarily yeah. well executed for the um uh Revolution 1 because I mean the the way that story dealt with the imagery of police brutality and stuff was very not not great. Um but at least it had an idea um, And I look at this And like the idea is the time loop um, And that's a lot of fun mm. Like don't get, don't get us wrong I think we both had a pretty good time With the core conceit of this episode um, But yeah it's, it's just not It's not much of a Dalek story
0: um, It's not Even though I like watching them shoot people <laughs> <laughs> It isn't about Daleks And I think that's like That's That's basically why It's not a good Dalek story um, But the Daleks in it I, Okay yes they shoot a lot of people, they get a great kill record in because of the conceit of the time loop, they're able to keep killing the characters and then they come back in the next loop. Um, you, de- I don't think you felt the same way as me about this, but just there was like the repeated like um, Daleks do not have managers, Daleks do not store <laughs> staff, stuff, stuff, um, you know, coupled with Dan's like, you know, going around the Dalek <laughs> to kind of, like, always just out of its range, like, just proved some weaknesses, I think, in the Daleks in the way that, like, they used to make jokes about the fact they couldn't go upstairs kind of thing. I, I don't know.
1: It did feel of a piece with that.
0: Yeah, I, mm. I-, I do agree. Um, I think it's just
1: a matter of, um, uh, like, proportions, basically, because, you know, I think the, you know, Daleks do not have managers, Daleks do not store stuff, didn't love that very much, and then you get Dan dancing around the side of a Dalek, just awkwardly dodging its blasts, and I I laughed. Like I think it's a fun image. Um, I think when the, that first Dalek shows itself off to uh, Sarah and's like, I am not Nick. Absolutely loved it. <laughs> um, So I liked those little moments. I think the Daleks were the funniest in this episode when they weren't actually talking. There's a couple of instances where um, someone either quips to a Dalek or tries to give a big speech to a Dalek and they just shoot. They don't give a fuck. And that is the funniest part about the Daleks to me in the the context of of this particular story. I think making Daleks funny at all, and that's the thing, like these are filmmaking techniques that were used to make you laugh. Um, Mm. And I think doing that to them in the same story where... You get hints at a really horrific story actually like the idea of being exterminated over and over and over again is a really dark premise if it's taken in a very serious way and so i don't begrudge him necessarily for writing it as a comedy um because i think if you went the opposite direction it wouldn't be much of a new year's special um Mm. even if yeah i I think it's a bit at
0: odds with like ideas and execution and, and whatnot I do definitely think the humor is, is uh, okay in this episode. And there were a few instances that made me laugh, like that, the one you described, where um, I think Nick's character gets one of the Daleks to blow up all of its his like ex girlfriend stuff. And he's like, ex girlfriends, ex sterminate. <laughs> Terrible joke. And then the Dalek just deadpan shoots him. Um,
1: yeah, it's just like it takes a beat and then deadpan
0: shoots him. And the fact that you can ascribe something like a
1: deadpan expression totally. to a Dalek that looks like a Dalek, that's that's actually very competently done. And it is funny.
0: It is funny. It is funny. And there are a couple of other jokes like with Yaz and Jan and their kind of back and forward banter. There's not a whole lot of it, but when it does that, their- when it does come up and you see how like their relationship is in relation to Yaz and the Doctor, it, it's it sets up or it makes me think about a very interesting dynamic between the three of them. Um, I mean, Aisling B, if we're going to talk about comedy, Aisling B's character is, uh, fucking incredible. And it reminded me a lot of like, um, because of them both being comedians, um, Catherine Tate and then her introduction Mm. as Donna. Um, Mm -hmm. they have a lot of shared DNA in that kind of like belligerent woman way. I'm never going to say that again in my life. um, (laughs) and but she yeah like it's funny i read a review that said something like you know she's she's too harsh and she's too mean and um you know i don't Ugh. see what people don't like why people like her and and like yes those are traits in her character but like they're not her whole character and the warmth that's not there necessarily in the words or the dialogue is like just there in her as a person do you know what i mean like when some actors mm-hmm. just imbue their characters with their natural charisma
1: Yes, yeah, agree. It's it's an underlying humanity to a harder character, mm. um, which I, I think she does a, a really, really good job of. Um, her, her performance in general is something that I quite like about this episode. I remember they released a, a clip uh, before the episode actually dropped and it had um, a, a small scene of um, Sarah yelling about the name of the Daleks and whatnot, um, and you and I talked about it and I said to you, it's just weird to see somebody acting in this era of Doctor Who. And I know that sounds really detrimental and like I do kind of mean it in a pretty mean-spirited way but like she brings so much uh, warmth and, and energy to the role that I think that is, is really kind of sorely missing across Chibnall's regular cast um, because mm. he writes in such an understated way um, and I, I think that has its appeal. I, I think it can work in certain stories, but, like, Doctor Who, for me, occasionally needs somebody who's a bit larger than life um, and not quite in the way
0: that uh, the Doctor is anyway. If I can hazard, like, a, a guess at what you're, I think you're saying, like, he doesn't do memorable supporting characters or one-off characters, right? Like, he doesn't do, <clears throat> I can't even think of any character he's written that's not the main cast that I've been like, you know, wow, that they were a cool addition to the episode. And so, when you Remember say- the
1: gay astronaut from that one episode? See,
0: you can't even name the episode. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, shit the plastic one
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know who you're talking about but like you don't know I don't know his name and neither do you he's not a memorable character the only fucking memorable character and it wasn't even an episode that he wrote is fucking Benny (laughs) 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 if I'm honest Uh,
1: no I agree and I was literally just racking my brain there and I was like I've already like forgotten about Claire
0: and Jericho like I had to force myself to remember them (laughs) exactly Mary Seacole don't remember her like, it's, oh. he just cannot, I don't think, can do, like, really good memorable characters. Partly that's casting, partly that's writing. In this case, he actually, like, achieved that they both kind of came off pretty well in Aisling Bray's character. Uh, and I thought she was funny. Uh, agreed.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I like that she felt like a... And, and again, this is going to get a bit tricky because I think that there are two halves to Sarah and Nick, which is the first half of the episode and the second half of the episode. And the first half, I think, is really fantastic stuff. I think it's funny. I think it's really subtle and nice social commentary. Um, It's just firing on all cylinders for me. So much to the point where there's a scene where, uh, you know, the the revelation comes that Nick has been storing all this stuff from his ex-girlfriends. And Yaz and uh, Sarah just share this wordless glance at each (laughs) other. And it's just the most, like, shit yes that's exactly like that that's that's that sort of woman's experience you know like that that's dudes being a creep and women immediately in the room to another woman being like what the fuck is this and i was so electrified by that single exchange and then that you go on to have Yaz be like your ex-girlfriends are alive right so funny so like mm. intelligent about what it's trying to say about the way that nick is approaching his relationships with women and but
0: that's from the director. I.
1: Oh yeah, no, no, totally. That's it. I, I think a lot of this does come from um, from that director and having a woman tell that part of the story I think is is crucial. Then the flip side to that is that, you know, the episode goes on to guilt Sarah into being in a romantic relationship with that same guy. And it's just, it all falls apart for me in that second half, even if the performances stay pretty consistent throughout.
0: Uh, yes, look, the moment you're referring to where they look at each other and then they allude to... Nick's ex-girlfriends. Basically, they've gone into Nick's storage unit in the facility and discovered that he's kept he keeps like items from his past girlfriends in this in this facility. He goes there on New Year's Eve to do it and he labels them with their names and like the dates they were together for. Incredibly creepy, incredibly obsessive. Not saying he's a stalker, but stalkery behavior. And hmm. the episode does some real big loops uh not loops uh jumps backflips if you will to get sarah to feel sorry for him to a point where she would where they would like you know naturally come together as a couple and i do it's odd Mm. because i on the second rewatch i did actually kind of buy their if not chemistry like both of them as individual characters um and as humans um, going through this experience together to the point where they would like, you know, fall in—not saying love, but like they give it a go with each other. Um, yep. but the problem is that, like you say, the episode needs to guilt Sarah into like f- falling for him, basically, even though he's displayed some very questionable behaviour, and it does this by, you know, he sacrifices himself to the Dalek. Um. And force and that forces Sarah to like remember that she didn't go and save him earlier in the episode. So like she's already like on the back foot. Um, added to that, like they char- like Chris Chibnall characterizes Nick in this like kind of hangdog, kind of fuckboy way initially, with like the s- feel sorry for me kind of mm. like oh well is me, nobody likes yep. me, blah blah blah. And it all just paints this portrait of a vaguely kind of incelly viewpoint of the world from the writer I'm talking about and this is yes (laughs) the big major roadblock stumbling block to me even like in this episode the first time around
1: Mm mm-hmm yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, there's a YouTube channel called Pop Culture Detective. They've got an amazing video called Stalking for Love. I'd highly recommend that as, as a bit of uh, supplementary viewing to this episode because, um, you know, we, we go on to get the revelation that the only reason Nick is coming here, so, like, for the past, like, three years or whatever on New Year's Eve is because he has a crush on Sarah. Um, and. Everything that we'd learned about Sarah as a character up until that point, the cynicism, the anger, the, the, you know, the overbearing mother being like, you've really got to find a man. All of it to me screams of a person who'd be like, that's fucking weird, dude. Um, and that she doesn't have that response because he essentially like commits suicide in front of her. I, I. Mm. It's really gross. I, I think there's some really gross, nasty shit bubbling under the surface there. And I and this is a completely projecting, of course. Um, but I do very much get the uh, idea from this that uh, Annette Alorfer's direction sort of came in and maybe eased up some of it and I think tried to maybe soften a bit of that blow. Like, you know, you put this in your notes, but they don't even kiss at the end of the episode in front of the fireworks, um, which is one of those things where it's like, okay, was this a choice that was made... By the director, as opposed to the script, you know. I do,
0: yeah. I, I obviously we don't know, but I would genuinely hazard guesses to say that she made that, she did that. Knowing, seeing the script and knowing what, uh, where the relationship started from, and it also it's funny. Like I also think that the two actors, Ajani Salmon, uh, Salmon and um, uh, Ashley B, are good actors in their own right. Um, I think they're great. I just didn't think they had much chemistry, really. And so even though they didn't kiss at the end, that also felt natural because I didn't buy them as a couple.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's just a it, it's a bit of an odd hodgepodge of ideas and and choices going on in there. Um, Which, you know, I I think is the only real sour note to um, Sarah's general presence in this episode. You know, I'm I'm glad we kind of led this discussion with been like, she's, it's a great performance. She's really a lot of fun. I like that. She's not instantly like, she doesn't really give a shit about the doctor. um, Not even until the very end, you know, um, she's untrusting of the doctor and then chooses to try to save herself instead of saving the doctor. Mm. Um, I think that's, Good. I, and again, that's that's the kind of woman that I got the impression Sarah was. Like, yes, a little bit selfish, but also deeply human in that sense.
0: Totally. She's untrusting. She like is cynical. She and this is what I think is some one of the the um, strengths of the episode is what it has to say about like ordinary humans like stuck in ruts, stuck in loops, if you will, mm. um, of behaviour where they're like just going through these patterns like that don't serve them any purpose other than that's all they're used to. So, like, you start the episode with Sarah, like, on the phone complaining to her only employee that he's knocked on her, not knocked, he's left once again her high and dry, she has to work New Year's Eve. But you know that she's not Mm -hmm. going to change her behaviour. Yeah. And I think I kind of lost my train of thought with that thought. Aisling B is a good character. (laughs) It's got a lot to say about Loops.
1: Uh Yeah yep no i i agree um had a lot of fun with that stuff
0: for sure um (sighs) Hmm. (laughs) well if we're going to talk about like people stuck in um repetitive not serving any purpose loops with one another should we talk about um the doctor and yaz Uh,
1: i guess i guess we can't really avoid that um uh, Yaz... Hmm. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Alright, so... <laughs> God damn. Um, this This is a tricky one to talk about because... Not only do we have opinions as Doctor Who fans and as people who do a podcast that criticizes and talks about Doctor Who, but specifically as queer fans, this is one of those choices that felt like a fever dream when I was watching it. And the fact that we even feel that way has already been a, an opinion and a, and a position that's kind of, um, uh, heavily criticized in, in some fandom circles. The idea that if you think Yaz's coming out now is too little, too late, you're inherently not a good gay. Um, mm. and, and, I, I really cannot put into words how much that gets under my skin. I think that's a really foul way of approaching all of this because what we've got here is a a thing that has been largely subtext, a, th- a, a queer ship that has been obviously um, founded and celebrated in these fandom circles for, what, the past couple of years. Mm. But the show itself is now coming into the end of its run with this showrunner, mm. with these characters, with this doctor. And with two episodes left, it says... Actually, she was queer, um, mm. and I, I, I don't know. I have very complicated feelings about that.
0: It's funny you say it's been subtext in the show. I'd almost argue, maybe with the exception of Flux, it's kind of been fan text for the yes. majority of the yeah. show. Um, like it, you see, I've been seeing all these people like resharing moments from the past episodes and being like, "Look, it was there. Look, here's evidence. It was there the whole time." And it's a shot where they're in the same shot. And I'm like, <laughs> this isn't evidence of anything. This is evidence of the fact that there are two people who know each other. Like, there has yes. been nothing... There has been nothing in this show, again, with the exception of a few, like, choice moments in Flux, which I interpret more as, like, knowing, teasing knowing that the fans are shipping these characters than anything that's actually textual and happening to them in the show. The idea that this has been seeded or that this has been, you know, a long time coming uh, is bogus, frankly, to me. And it's revealed something that I, I have been like grappling with for the last few, um, days since the episode came out, which is just like, like we had an amazing queer person of color, uh, companion in Bill, mm. who kissed girls, who openly liked girls, who like flirted with lots of different people in like her travels with the doctor, um, who was like a fully fleshed, fully arounded character. And now we've got Yaz, who feels like a step back, a step in the wrong direction, a step backwards from something amazing. And I want people to want more from this show. I want people to want <laughs> more from these characters because this is not to my mind at least this is not good representation. Mm. Maybe not good representation. It's it's everything we say it comes with the caveat that we know that, that we've only got two more episodes with these characters before they're gone and that they can't possibly fulfill this narrative in a satisfying way to an actual queer experience. People this 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 scene that people are talking about is doing a lot of heavy lifting for a relationship that has not existed up to this point. And I... Yeah, I've... it's
1: retroactively building the scaffolding. Um, And that's... It's just not... It's,
0: it's not a good way to tell a story. No, it's not. Because, because we haven't seen it up to this point. I would love it if this had... If Biazza's journey from, like, middle of season two or whatever was... Had been... Or well, even earlier, obviously, but like I'm just trying to think of a realistic point where it could have started.
1: Yeah, like, I think "Can you hear me?" would have been the most natural
0: place to start this, right? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely, it would have been.
1: Yeah. So if if you want to do this, I, and I mean, and here's the thing that I've I've seen a lot discussed online is that. Yes, there, there is absolutely inherent value to telling a slow burn coming out story. Um, I think there are a lot of queer people who do take a lot of time to get comfortable with who they are before they start expressing that outwardly. Um, you know, I was very fortunate in that I had a lot of people around me when I was younger who told me it was okay to be feeling the things that I was feeling. And that definitely helped me come to terms with that in a, in a, a, a faster way. And there are people out there who don't have that. And... Mm telling that story and showing that story in the context of Doctor Who I think would be quite beautiful, especially if you take in the whole Doctor comes along, takes Yaz away from a culture and a life that she feels is quite oppressive to who she actually is inside, and then through her journeys through space and time, she learns more about herself as as a queer woman. I think that's really beautiful, um, and I don't... I don't begrudge anybody wanting to see that uh, because no. I think it's a really nice concept. Um, I just don't actually think it's there in the text. Um, you know, I think the last time we saw Yaz's mum was Arachnid's in the UK, right? And no. she was so supportive and loving.
0: The last time we saw her was in, um, uh, I think it was the Spyfall two-parter. Was it? Mm.
1: Oh. Oh. Anyway, the point is, everything we've seen of Yaz's family has been really loving and supporting. I think that I also saw some people throwing around, like, the assumption that um, because, Yaz, because Yaz is from, like, a, you know, a more culturally diverse background, maybe that's simmering under the surface. Like, that's a kind of a, a, a weird assumption to be making about this when the show has done nothing but represent these people as a loving, nice family. Um, mm. So, I, I, I don't agree with any of that. Um, and then you add on top of it this... The other side of this conversation, which is the idea that the Doctor is reciprocating these feelings, and based just on this episode, I do not get that at all.
0: No, I mean, we talked about this. The way that the Doctor kind of reacts to the various different instances where they do address this through the episode, like, is with sadness, right? It's like an an expression of like, oh no... I can't believe this is happening, kind of thing. Yeah,
1: truly, and and like, I, and we don't mean to laugh, but like, it does feel like that moment when you realise that somebody is into you and you're not into them, and you're like, "How the fuck am I going to deal with this?" Yes. that is the vibe I get from the doctor in this episode. Yes,
0: yes. Uh, it, uh, granted, we're, we're, that's because we're talking about looks here. We're talking about body language. We're not actually talking about anything textual. Um,
1: well, I mean, like with the doctor, yes, but this is all they've given us. Like no, this, exactly. this is the, this is the fruits of that, their labor. Like you want to leave it this late. You want to give us this little fine.
0: Let's go. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is like, it, we, we have to sort of interpret what's being unsaid as opposed to anything that's being said, um, to sort of get the doctor's feelings on this. And, um, like the shot of the doctor looking at Yaz, looking at the fireworks could be interpreted as like, like, I love you. Uh, but I can't be with you Or It actually feels dumb I mean, To even be looks... like, interpreting this Because it's not in the fucking text
1: Yeah it's, it's sub 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 text uh, But like she looks uh, From memory Because I, I just watched this episode She goes from looking neutral To looking dismayed When she looks at Yaz um, It's not a positive vibe That she's giving off And look that might just be Oh fuck I don't want to have to deal with this again Because of last time Which is the Rose stuff mm-hmm. um, But Uh, I don't know. I, and I've said, I've said as much on Twitter, but like Chibnall's era of Doctor Who is either centrist to a fault or slightly conservative, basically, in, in what it does with its stories. And then you add on top of that, when it makes these kind of big choices, like The Timeless Children, like Flux it doesn't do a very good job at actually following through on the consequences of those choices. He likes to just kind of snap his fingers, get everyone's attention, and then he doesn't know what to do after that. Um, yeah. And I think when you take all that into account, I think what we're probably going to get here is a story where Yaz gets to come out and get to confess her love to the Doctor, and the Doctor says, I know I'm going to change soon, and I can't be with you, and that'll be that. Um. I, I don't think this is going to be the sapphic romance of our lives, unfortunately, as much as I want it to be.
0: It's also, yeah, you've just touched on something that I didn't even think about, which is like, obviously this doctor is going to change. And so Yaz is Yaz coming out now and and I hope admitting these feelings to the doctor herself um, is very interesting when you consider if the doctor knows they're about to die, right? And also mm. considering we don't know who the doctor is going to be next, if the doctor is a man again, next time yeah. and then what does that do to Yaz? like does that like fuck with her mind that like the person that she did love is now not only going to change but going to change gender in as much as like mm. the time lords have a binary gender system like um we have imposed on humanity yeah. um i'm i'm speculating here because like i have to because the show's never going to do it <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean yeah No, I do, I do. It's just um
1: I don't know, it's 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 a lot. Like it and there's the thing about these queer stories popping up in in franchise media, um, you know, the the kiss at the end of Rise of Skywalker, which was like a blink and a miss it you miss it moment, and it's just I want to not have such a reaction to it because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm smart enough to be like, yeah, it's, it's, it's corporate capitalism, blah, blah, blah. It's never going to be the thing that the queer media we want it to be. Right. Um, but I can't deny that. Like I, I do like I was in my head about this. Like I was, I was in my feelings about this shit because it's still a queer story. And, and I, <laughs> I said as much throughout our Twitter account, but, and this is something I don't think you and I have really discussed, but the, the idea that, that Chris Chibnall is now doing a queer story two episodes before the show gets handed back to an arguably much more radical and angry version of the queer man who rebooted the show in the first place leaves a really bad taste in my mouth because Mm. I kind of figure if this story is to be told, if you want to do a queer Doctor Who, specifically a queer Doctor story it should be a queer person writing it.
0: I mean, I will say that I think Russell T. Davies would do an, a, a profoundly better job at this storyline if he chose to do it. Um, noticeably, he didn't do any gay or queer companions in his time on the show. Um, mm.
1: Which, uh, just a small side note, like oh, like you and I uh coming to the end of our RTD era um, reviews in our, in our mainline series. And I have been quite... Uh, critical of a lot of that, especially, I mean, as a queer man, you know, looking at the choices that he specifically didn't make in his time on the show. Um, and... I think a lot of those criticisms do hold up in some ways. And then in other ways, I've, I've recently, I've gone down a bit of a Russell T Davies rabbit hole recently, everybody. I'm, so I'm sorry about this, but I've been really trying to educate myself on, on who this man is before he comes back into the show. And you brought up that interview to me where he talked about the idea that
0: he didn't think anyone would want
1: to watch. It's a sin, right?
0: Uh, yeah. I found it. Re- it was um, the guardian voted it, the best drama of the year. And so they interviewed, uh, sorry, they voted it's a sin, the best drama of the year. So they interviewed him and it was I found it really interesting this section where he said that he didn't think anyone was gonna watch the show, um, because pro- like because it was about um HIV and AIDS. Uh, and being such a heavy topic, mm. he didn't think that it would, you know, in the current climate uh be appreciated or that people would watch it, like they would go for lighter fare. So the fact that people did watch it, he was amazed with. But more mm. than that, it brought I- out like out like dozens of like personal stories and um and um i was gonna say tributes but that's not the right word people reached out to him and said thank you for this show because this is what happened to me in that period and i you know in some ways i didn't even think about it until i watched this show like that's how like of a Mm. moment and a break it was for so many people um and you get the impression in this interview that like he's considering like (laughs) Not that he hasn't been a political writer. He's been a very, very political and sexual writer and queer writer in the past. Um, Mm. But uh, you get the sort of the impression that he, like, really... I don't want to say understands the implications of it because I do think he did that before. I'm I'm really struggling to think what what I want to say here. Like... No, no, like, you're
1: talking about the exact thing that I I was driving at before, which is, yes, he has always been a political writer and an aggressively queer, uh, and a queer writer, but I think that that maturity, that time away, his exposure in writing other things, and, you know, as that interview points out, audience reaction to those other things, um, I've kind of definitely softened on what he didn't do in his time with doctor who and am instead now trying to focus on what he could do now that he's coming back especially because we're in such a different uh sort of socio-cultural time now mm. um the the landscape of media has changed what's ex- what's quote-unquote more acceptable to mainstream audiences has changed that their, their horizons have been broadened hopefully um mm. so i i could just see A version of his Doctor Who that is much queerer and much more political. And so, having just loop back around, having Chibnall write this story now when his era has been so aggressively um, politically neutered or not anti sex, but like it's a profoundly unromantic kind of collection of. Uh, Series, Yes. I think one of our earlier criticisms of Jodie's doctor is that, like, all of the male doctors get to enjoy the full sort of spectrum of um, their sexualities. And to have the first woman doctor be like, oh, no, well, she doesn't, I think could be an interesting choice if you want to do, like, an asexual, aromantic kind of doctor. But I don't get the impression that's what he was trying to do. I think he just didn't
0: do anything with it. I, I agree. And to like, to add on to that point, I think he didn't do anything because he was scared to do something because he's a male writer mm-hmm. writing the first female doctor. And yes. like we have spoken about this before, maybe actually not on the show, but you and I have spoken about this, about like how neutered she seems in comparison in episodes that really should be addressing the gender, her gender and um, mm-hmm. in the wider context of the world we live in. Um, like the Witchfinders, which like is probably the closest it's the show's ever got to acknowledging it, and still really like leaves you wanting more, far more in its exploration of that. Um, yeah. And so, I would say the same with the queer storylines. Like you know, you mentioned the gay astronauts before, which I had admittedly forgotten. But even now, <laughs> when I'm thinking about that storyline, it 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 they could have been anyone. They could have been any gender. It wasn't any particularities mm-hmm. to that. Storyline and it's the same here Like, you know, it's Sarah and Nick There's no particularities to their rom- rom-com experience It's just It's very flat It's very one-dimensional Um
1: Which is interesting Because we just talked about how the first chunk of this episode Is very gendered and particular And then, but then when it actually gets to the romance stuff It just, it loses all of its characteristics
0: It does It Yeah, it absolutely does Because it's just, it's just quote-unquote banter for him It's like Marvel yeah. banter um, I think we're spiraling away from the main point and we should really bring it back <laughs> here, Um, which is that the Chris Chibnall has introduced a queer relationship two episodes before he's due to finish and it really does just smack you in the face of, like, here's my tick, done, done that. You, yeah. like, look at what an amazing writer I am. And I don't buy it. And I want more and I want better from this showrunner. And I think <laughs> we have done the fandom has done so much heavy lifting on his behalf to make
1: mm.
0: that year this era seem better than it is can we please just be honest with each other it has been crap it has been bad <laughs> on a quality level and yes. in some respects and this is one of those instances that really hurts <laughs> it really hurts to see and to see other people like swallowing it and saying thank you more please like yeah, exactly right.
1: Like, you just had all of Flux to... And there's oh, the, my God, yeah. Say, you know, like, even if he wants to say, uh, I decided to make Yaz queer from Flux onwards, right... I would, I would accept that. If he said, I saw the fan reaction, they saw something in these in these actors' dynamics that I didn't initially, in this character that I initially didn't even realise, and it made me think about what I could do. Fuck yeah, let's go. And so, I do think that, in that sense, Flux, like you said before, there are moments that are cheekily winking at you. Like, when they land on the bed together, and immediately Twitter was like, oh, all the shippers are gonna lap this up. It's like, yeah, but they fucking know you will. Like, mm. they, are, they are marketing to you. Mm-hmm. And that that's, now that they're actually doing a queer Yaz story, I think that's less egregious. The egregious part to me is that you then had those full six episodes in which you could have explored any of this. Yeah. And the most you get is that hologram scene, which look like, I thought was quite nice. You know, I, I said as much on our episode, um, but wasn't particularly queer.
0: No, I completely agree. Yeah. And and Which is
1: like, to bring us back to... Oh, sorry. No, I was
0: just going to say, like, you just struck on something, which is like... <laughs> which is just, like, plain concrete evidence of, like, why this is such a shit thing. There was all of Flux and Dan, you know? We got Dan. Imagine all the time that could have been used for... And, granted, he plays somewhat of an interesting part here being the kind of, like, outsider who can see their relationship clearly in a way that Graham and Ryan never could. So he serves his purpose in this episode in that respect. But, like... He didn't need to be a whole companion. And you liked Dan in this episode, I think. I, I forgot he was there most um, of the time. Uh,
1: yeah, I did just realise we hadn't even talked about Dan yet. Uh, the thing is, I remember when um you got that... Uh, the... What was it? Once Upon Time, when we get the scene where Dan is talking about being left at the altar, right? And there was a few people who'd said... Oh, it really felt like that speech was him building up to revealing that, like, he'd been left by a man or something. Or, like, it was going to be, like, the reveal that Dan is gay. And in retrospect, they should have done that. Because I think having a queer older man Mm -hmm. coming into their dynamic, into Yaz's world, and being like, Hey, I've been where you've been. Like, I see it in you as well, would have been a much more profound and genuinely queer story to tell. Rather than having just dan as he is now be like hey you know you're gay right
0: (laughs) um wholeheartedly agree and for and on that for another reason i agree because like he also like becomes the arbiter of truth of what's queer and what's not queer (laughs) in this episode um like he has that moment with yaz but then he also says to the doctor he's like you know yaz she likes you by the way." You know, she's gay and she likes you. And it's like, that is not your truth <laughs> to tell, my friend. That is-
1: well, that's it. Yeah. It's really not his place to out her the way that he she does. And that's a term that you used to me when you were talking about the first time you watched this episode. And I kind of pushed back a little mm-hmm. bit. And then I think I've come back to the center on it where it's like, yes, it's a story. And yes, he's fulfilling a role of a character in a story. But again, you can't help but wonder, would a queer writer have maybe caught that and been like, hey, don't have her truth be told by him.
0: Uh, I'm really glad you see it from my point of view now because it's, uh, it was really fucking shit the first time around yeah. when I saw that. And then you were like, no, no it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I
1: know. Well, I was, I was just, I, I really enjoyed this episode the first time I watched it and I wanted to hold on to that so badly. Um, cause I didn't want to have to come in here and had do like another massive negative episode, you know?
0: Uh, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. And, and, It has ended up in that space, I suppose. Um,
1: I would argue that this has been a constructive conversation, not a negative one.
0: (laughs) I mean, I've definitely felt very fired up by this conversation. And... uh, Um, Yes. And for a good reason, not because it's a bad episode, necessarily. Mm. Um, What was I going to say about Dan? Yes, the fact that he outs effectively outs Yaz to the doctor is just really shitty and something you would not get if a queer person were writing this. You wouldn't. Like, and it comes from a place of, like, not thinking about sexuality as something to be considered or to agonise over in the way that queer people mm. do. Like, Chris Chibnall's experience of... And I'm obviously, I'm, I'm assuming I don't know him, blah, 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 blah. But, like, he is straight, and so his experience of sexuality is just something that was encouraged and, like, inc- like um, part of he- the mainstream all of his life. Yeah, it's passively rewarded. Passively for- rewarded for being, yeah. you know, attracted to women. Fuck off. Um, yes. And so, like, Yaz's yeah. little, like, trite, oh, I didn't know, I couldn't even admit it to, my- to myself, it doesn't smack as real to me. It It makes me think that it's, like, just the barest bones where you could like explore that story the barest like non thought you could give to that story um
1: um yes i i will say i've seen a lot of queer fans say that that line in particular resonated with them and i i do think it's the kindest of the lines that he's he's given yaz to sort of explore this concept very briefly here um mm. I, I thought it was the most human of all of them personally but um i fair enough again taken in the wider context of chibnall as a writer i definitely understand why you wouldn't have that good faith for it.
0: I don't have... Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. I don't have good faith that he's going to pull this off or that he's doing it in a thoughtful way. Um, It does just feel kind of rote and like, oh, I think I've heard gay people say this before so I'm just going to write this down. Blah, 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 blah. Next scene. That's how it feels to me. Mm. Um, But fully understand that people who like and love Yaz uh, and this era can draw some strength from this moment. So maybe... I don't want to diminish what I've said, but I also Maybe don't want to you're diminish... Maybe
1: just cynical old bastards. <laughs> 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 no, I, I know exactly what you mean. And I felt this way myself watching Twitter have its little, like, sort of moment over this whole thing, is that... Um, I think that being upset or disappointed by this is valid. I think that feeling good about this is is equally valid. Like we're not on here trying to put like I mm. I don't think it's any queer person's place to police how other queer people engage with a queer story. Um, so if we think it sucks uh, and and we do. lay it out why, um, yeah, which we do, <laughs> um, we hope that we are afforded a a respectful place to do that in the same way that like would happily afford anyone else the place to, to counter those arguments and, and to sort of put forth their perspective because mm. queer people aren't a monolith. Um, you know, no. we are going to engage with art differently. Um, we all have different experiences, just, uh, you know, and exactly. We've all grown up in such a different way. It's just, yeah. it's, it's a whole thing. But, but again, I think that does underline that idea that it should be a queer writer, maybe tackling this.
0: <laughs> well, I think that's the rub of it really, is that like, it just Christian will, from the start, has been the wrong person to deal with so many of the issues that they've tried to tackle Mm. through this era.
1: Police brutality, like we just talked about with the Dalek special. Like, I don't necessarily want Chris Chibnall's input on that.
0: (laughs) Oh my god, I just had this image of, like, the BBC being like, oh, we need to do, like, a really political show. Somebody get Chris (laughs) Chibnall. (laughs)
1: Question <laughs> on the line. Well, you know, I mean, okay, uh, okay. Uh, look, I'm aware of how long we've been running on this particular <laughs> tangent, and I, I just want to maybe like tie it up with this one thing. But like, Broad Church, right? Oh my god, <laughs> While we're doing this, is a really interesting example of. Um, You know, Chris Chibnall's sort of like conservatism coming through in his writing sometimes where you've got a story that the entire time is quite critical of um, police and the the government and power structures and social structures within small communities. And then at the very end, instead of criticizing the church, it says, actually, the church is incredible. And that's where you should probably be going. And Mm. that final taste of of Broadchurch, for one, soured a lot of the show for me. And two, is something I have never been able to shake out of my mind when I think about Chibnall's writing. Um and I think it shines through in this. I think, you know, we've talked about it before, but uh Kablam is just one of the ugliest episodes of Doctor Who ever committed to film. Um I, I just don't want this guy telling our stories. Like, basically, mm. that's, that's it. Mm. Mm. That's it. Wrapping up quickly. Um, is there anything else in Eve of the Daleks you want to quickly shout out? Preferably something that we liked.
0: Um, Actually, I do have one other thing. It's very small, but I really quite enjoyed uh, Sagan Akinola's, uh music this week. I thought it struck mm-hmm. the right balance of, like, strong, energetic, um, new, especially fair... Um, I really kind of liked the soft guitar theme he did for the end when they're watching the fireworks. Um, yes, agree. And so, yeah, yeah, like I, I don't think we, we have talked much about him as a composer, um, because his work is not, his work is definitely like meant to underscore and not stand out. Like it's, it's, it's not yeah, like it's
1: the opposite of Murray gold.
0: <laughs> it's the complete opposite. Exactly. Um, but I, yeah, I did notice it this week and shout out to him for a, a great score. Um, yep. Do you have anything you want to add?
1: Yeah, I thought that, uh, okay, my. Uh, my, my lizard brain really, 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 really loved the Gatling guns. I thought they were the coolest fucking shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought they sounded great. I thought they looked great. The Just the general concept is a lot of fun. Um, on the other end of that, there was a moment where one of the loops resets and Sarah is in the um, uh, the the foyer again and one of the daleks instantly like zips in and i think there's two instances where this happens the first time she's like oh come on that's not fair yeah but that was really human and really good she and says the I'm, time I'm, happens, I'm so tired when, yeah no that's it that was the moment that really got to me is when she's like i just i'm so tired and the way she starts like Half running away because she's obviously physically exhausted. The mental exhaustion of being killed over and over again. I think she gets trapped in an elevator and she's like, please just don't kill me. Like, it's just. Mm so good like, and th- and that's it and broadly speaking I think a really good thing about this episode is that it allows time for these human moments to land Chibnall's biggest issue <laughs> biggest issue sorry with Chibnall is a whole other problem mm. but like one of his problems has always been pacing um and I think by having this be such a small scale story and not globe trotting and not planet you know trot- trotting or whatever you've actually got time to let everything simmer nicely and I, I think it's well paced fun to watch really well directed um it's it's a good episode of Doctor Who with some weird ideas and a very, very big asterisk
0: at the end. Um, yeah. Look, fully agree um, with everything you said. And I had forgotten about those little moments. So, that's... Thank you for reminding me of... They are really good, like, little human moments with Ashling with B's character in particular. Let's be honest. Yes. Um, I want to talk about next week. <laughs> or... Shall we say next special? Oof. Yeah, in six months' time or whatever it is. Um, the
1: Sea Devils. Oh my
0: god, I can't wait. <laughs> I like how I've just spent the whole episode being like, fuck Chris Chibnall, fuck everything he does, fuck the next episodes, fuck everything. But now I'm like, ooh, can't wait. Thank you, Chrissy.
1: <laughs> oh my god, another returning villain. Thank you, Chip. Oh my god, you're my savior. <laughs> um, but no. And, the, and that's it, though. It's okay to feel that way. Like, yes, fan service is kind of annoying. Yes, I ride pretty hard against it. But I wouldn't even call these guys fan service because, like, I looked at them and I was like, what the fuck is that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. I mean, like, I definitely knew what it was the minute I saw it. Um,
1: Yeah, but it's not the same as, like, oh, the Cybermen are back, or the Master is back. You know what I mean? It's not one of those new-who-repeated things. I think that if you're going to do, like, a classic
0: villain, and you really
1: pull deep into the classics to do it, go for it. Uh,
0: Yeah. I mean, this arguably is that, because, like, the Sea Devils have only made two uh, canon appearances in the show. Um, uh, But people really fucking love them, and I love them, too. And I don't know... (laughs) i mean i love the silurians in general and the concept of like the prehistoric before humans race that ruled the earth like it's it's just so right up my alley um Mm -hmm. but it's curious because like the silurian stories have always been about earth ownership whereas the sea devil stories oddly have been more about have been more like swashbuckling kind of adventure stories um right and I say that knowing that, like the only real that I'm just referring to the Sea Devils, their introduction story because they're not really in the Warriors of the Deep where they were with the Silurians. They're kind of just like grunts, backup uh, races, basically. Um, but there is just something about the design of them, the eyes, the the very alienness of them that I really like. And I mm-hmm. really like that with this redesign, they haven't moved away from that. They've really stuck to that and updated it. And the, the, the little CGI touches to animate the face as well. Uh, granted, it's like a two-second blip of a clip. It's not very long. <laughs> um, but I watched it obsessively the day it came out. Um,
1: yeah. I, I, I get that. And I definitely respect that.
0: The only other thing I would say about the episode is let's... Uh, we'll reserve judgment until we see it, Obviously. But there is a lot of discourse online and I would add to it as well um, about framing the, si- the sea devils uh, against an, uh, a Chinese storyline. And the reason this yeah. has come up essentially is because the sea-, sea devils as a term is not the actual, it's not their name. It's a, for lack of a better word, slur that humans use against them. Um, and then um,
1: Yeah, I'd heard that and I was like Oh oh.
0: So it's very funny hearing Jodie say it in this trailer um, Add to that The fact that their costuming In the past have sort of Touched on um, East like um, Asian cultures uh, mm. But More specifically on samurai costumes Which are famously Japanese And not Chinese Oh, yes! Outstanding. Um, now, obviously, <laughs> um, again, I'm saying yeah. that this is all just like we don't, we haven't seen it. We don't know. We don't know.
1: Yeah, it, it's my understanding that uh, they have tapped um, a Chinese director to do the episode. Uh, Hao Lu Wang is her name. Um, so that's encouraging. Less encouraging is that I mean, Chibnall's a white dude. His co-writer for this episode is a white woman as well. Mm. It's it, like oh, okay. It, I don't
0: know. We're just, It'll be interesting to see how this all goes down. Um, it will It yeah. will be very interesting. Um, I'm actually kind of excited for Madame Ching to be in a Doctor Who episode because she's a real historical figure, a real pirate queen from the 19th century, um, and such a cool, like, <laughs> figure. Yes, granted, I only know... A p- I would love... What were you going to say?
1: Sorry. I would love to talk about this because... I saw two very different reactions to this woman and her history on Doctor Who Twitter. Uh, Because, I don't know, people got a hold of her Wikipedia article and learnt that uh, she goes on to, I believe, marry her stepson at some point. Um, And... I saw a lot of people on Doctor Who Twitter be like, this is horrific and horrible. And I saw another half of Doctor Who Twitter be like, yes, girl boss, fucking slay. Um and that is the funniest shit in the world to me. I cannot wait to watch the collective meltdown about her character.
0: I didn't know I didn't know that she married her stepson, so that's interesting. Uh, it is interesting, isn't it? To to note. Um Look, I mean more in the sense that she is, like, a female pirate figure that, like, you don't hear a a lot about. And that is, you know, genuinely, to Chris Chibnall's credit, one of the uh, better parts of his era is, like, that he has highlighted and uh, brought out of, not obscurity, but um, mainstream knowledge, uh, these kind of historical female figures. Um, Mm. Like Mary Seacole, who we don't know anything about. So we're part of the problem. Um, you know, um, so th- I- I'm excited for that. All right. Either the Daleks, what are you going to give it? <laughs> Do you know, like for all that we talked shit about this episode and we did, and I think there's genuine stuff to criticize in here that is less about this episode and more about the show that Chris Chibnall is running at the moment. Um, yes. as an episode of television, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy the dynamic of Ling B and Nick's character, um, I did. We haven't even talked about Jodie Whittaker, but like she is really good in this and gives an amazing speech. Um, Sorry,
1: yeah, we we got so sidetracked by the Yaz stuff But yeah, definitively, I would like to say This episode should go into the pile of episodes That gets Jodie's Doctor's characterization very much right Um, She's funny, she's
0: dark, uh, she's interesting it's, It's really good shit It is, she has actually a lot of really good lines Like, really good funny lines as well And some really cool moments And she has this speech about, like, trying things Making mistakes, trying again, learning which plays into the time loop stuff, but it's also in that typical Chibnall way, um, like this kind of forced positivity thing. But it works this time well, around. I mean,
1: it, it's about New Year's Eve.
0: It's about New Year's Eve, but it's about like breaking the cycle. And uh, yes. I, 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 yeah, it's a really good moment and a really good performance from her. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I'm giving it a B. <laughs> Me too. I'm going to give it a B. It's solid. You can't really ask for more than that. Truly. Well... Well, but we won't. Um,
1: (laughs) um, Okay. Well, as always, thank you so much for listening. Um, We will be back in... Uh, I think maybe next week. Uh, okay, so we, we recorded Midnight forever ago, so I'll probably drop that on you lovely folks um, sometime next week. Um, and then after that, we will settle back into our every two-week um, standard uh, show rotation with Turn Left, which mm. uh, we are so excited to not be talking about Chibnall's era anymore. It's going to be really nice to go back to our old ways. It's
0: going to feel weird because we spent such a long time being part of the cultural conversation. Um, and now we're not going to be part of it. We're, gonna be going, we're not going to be part of the cultural conversation <laughs> if nobody's listening to my podcast. <laughs> For, it's oh, a really obscure... I've got to stop
1: referencing obscure <laughs> Instagram videos. Um look as always thank you so much for listening uh, if you would like to review us on iTunes that would be fantastic uh, helps us grow as a show and it makes us feel pretty good about ourselves um, if you have any questions thoughts or feelings you would like read on the show please feel free to email us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com that's two the word two or of course we are on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at twoheartspod the number two uh,
0: you can find me uh, Callum on Twitter and Instagram at theatracallum and you can find me james
1: on twitter at OMGMoreJames, but please don't i fucking hate twitter no i don't <laughs> it's been a whole thing you guys have a lovely week uh stay mm. safe be kind to each other
0: and um we'll, we'll see you in a bit see you in a bit